The Service Evolution Podcast is brought to you by CGP Maintenance and Construction Services, Inc. We'll ensure consistently great performance to help keep your business running smoothly. For more information, visit cgpconstruction.com. Welcome to Service Evolution, America's premier destination for service industry leaders. We deliver the advice and insight you need to get ahead in your career, learn new skills, and succeed in the competitive world of service. Our podcast features experts from across the country who provide their valuable insight on topics such as branding, strategy building, and customer service. Whether you're just starting out or looking for ways to take your company to the next level, join us and discover how to make a positive impact today. What's up, guys? It's Sean Blaggett, Service Evolution. I am here with Jim Robinson, the man, the myth, the legend. What's up, Jim Robinson? Hey, let's do this, man. Let's kill it. Value bombs on the way. Another Back the bus up, unload. Another awesome opportunity to sit down with you and learn some cool stuff, man. Let's do it. Today, we're going to be talking about the fine line between micromanaging and mentoring. There is a time and place for both. And I don't know if everyone knows that, but there is. And I, I want to I hear uh, your thoughts on this process. I think it's important. I think there's there's uh, an understanding of what these things are and why they happen. And, and uh, you know, there's always someone crying about, I'm being micromanaged, I'm being micromanaged. And are they really? Probably not, but maybe. And if so, there's probably a good reason for it. And then everyone, uh, as far as I'm, I'm, uh, as far as my opinion goes, should have a mentor, and, and what that looks like, and, and how, why that's so important. We're gonna jump right into this, man. Let's go, man. Let's do it. You are the perfect, perfect, perfect person for this, I think, because I know you have some very defined opinions on this, having spent a lot of time with you, and uh, I think it's great for people to kind of understand the difference between these two. All right, so why do people micromanage? Why could you let's, let's do this first? In your opinion, how do you, would you define micromanagement and and, and shed some light on why uh, it often occurs in leadership or it, when it, why why should it occur? Okay, uh, micromanagement. I mean, dissect that word: uh, micro, small, small organism, small thing. <laughs> dissected for a minute and just kind of take a deeper dive, right? Instead of being so blanketed in, in people's analogy of micromanaging, that sounds like a threatening word. Yep. It sounds like a four-letter word that your mother told you to never say or you're going to get your mouth washed out with a bar of soap. Not that it ever happened to me, by the way. <laughs> but, so I've heard stories anyways. Uh, but micromanaging, right? Micro, so small, management usually related to the process and systems. And then uh, the leadership side, there's never any leader that micromanages. There's managers. There's leaders that may have to step into the management role again to play small on small things, process and systems. Leaders tend to be the more the mentor, right? So the leaders, you grow into that longevity-wise. You, you spend a lot of time doing, you know, whatever it is, basket weaving or what I do. But you do something that for a long period of time and you grow into that leadership role because uh, leadership really kind of uh, coincides with the mentorship program. You become a mentor. Leadership's related. Leadership is influence. 
the power of influence to get people to go to their capacities. Um, and then micromanaging is one of two things, lack of trust. If you don't trust somebody, you're going to, you're going to grind them. If you have to micro, so small manage, so people process and systems, if you have a team that's not following the basics, the super small little things, the micro things, then you have to find a way to get back to those. Because once you lose those things, and if you lose those things, then you're going to lose your ability to actually accomplish the big things. It's like I tell regularly, you know, people win the lottery. They're flat broke. You know, historically, in a year, maybe two years, they win, you know, a few million bucks, and then they're flat broke. It's literally they never were taught the micro management of money. So the process and systems, you tell your money where to go versus look at your bank statement and figure out where it went. Right. It's very different. So you got to be small in your process and systems. The other part of the micromanagement is you have to train. And if you train your team when they're hired, you may have to retrain them on a monthly, bi-monthly, six months, annually on the same thing because it's evolving at breakneck speeds. Mm -hmm. And if you don't train well, then you got to get into this micro, the small management of small systems and process. So it's related to planning, organizing, execution of process and systems. When you find that that's not being followed, you got to dig deeper. Yeah, yeah. So break it down, micromanage it for what it is. Don't look at it as a dirty four-letter word. Occasionally, people got to get involved in this. They got to get back to the basics or fundamentals. And if they do that effectively, tomorrow is a much better day. Really got to, you got to figure that out. So the question is, how do leaders discern when it's necessary to help guide a team member in facing challenges? And is the act of micromanaging beneficial in some situations? Micromanaging, managing small processes and systems is very beneficial in certain circumstances. Sometimes you got to drill down on that. For a, for a leader, uh, Dave Ramsey the other day, we were together in Nashville with a group of people. And he he's just like, sometimes people, and he says this in his hillbilly accent, <laughs> some people just sometimes do dumb things and you got to, you got to manage them back. And he says, for you or I, it may be incredibly micromanagement for the individual, the recipient of our words. It may not be micromanaging. It may be adding clarity. So we may consider it micromanagement ourselves, right? We're doing the small things for process and system, which is a painful place for me to live, by the way. It's different when we have to give it to somebody else. They may call it that, but it's also what they needed in the moment. So you gotta you gotta decide. Do you need to go manage the small stuff? If you need to go manage the small small stuff, why? Is it based on lack of trust? Do you not trust that employee? Or are we having to retrain today in the basic fundamentals, or has business evolved to where you're now learning a brand new system? Micromanagement is necessary in certain situations. I see that's a lot of that's good. Some good stuff right there. I feel like underperformance can affect uh, almost the, anyone and even the most unprofessional em, em, employees, you know, various factors like maybe it's morale or maybe, uh, you know, um, they're having some other challenge uh, that's turning a higher performer into someone who's needing assistance. As leaders, what do you feel like are the signs that they should be looking for and be vigilant about 
before the situation deteriorates significantly. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome statement and question. It's almost an oxymoron. Nah. Because when you when you describe most proficient, most proficient means that they're really truly proficient. They're really executing. They tend to not be affected by morale or self-centered things, right? Self-centered things <clears throat> that'll have a profound impact on careers. It can be it could be family, it could be health, it could be financial, it could be addictions, addictions minor or massive. Um, it could be anything that anyone is having to rely on to find peace, quiet, um, pacify the moment. Any of those are addictions and those will have a profound uh, effect on an employee. So the underperformance for the proficient, that's why I say it's kind of a, an oxymoron. The most proficient em employee is truly just that. And then that's a standalone. If they're really that, they're also impacting a lot of other lives. They're actually making other people win first, and then they will win second as a result of that. Morale plays a role not with the most proficient, but with the underperforming. Right. Morale is the first thing to show up. And then right behind that, they come up with excuse and blame as to why they're being impacted. They will blame everybody else on the team except the person in the mirror mm. every time, every single time. And you've seen it. I've seen it. I've witnessed it countless. I've employed thousands at this point. Literally, they never, and I use the metaphor all the time go look in a damn mirror. Look in the mirror. You got a big ass problem. Go look in the freaking mirror. You're going to figure this out. John Maxwell says the, the the owner, the leader of the team, the group, the company, they're the lid. And so if you're running a department and your department is sucking wind, you're the freaking lid. You're the problem. You got to go look in the mirror to figure out, you know, what is the problem? What's the challenge? It's the person staring at you in the mirror. But inevitably, they blame and come up with, well, I couldn't do it this way because of that. There's all your excuses, and then they will name names. And then, well, I don't want to throw Johnny under the bus, but, you know, the other day, Johnny could have, boom, there's the excuse, and there's the blame. And soon as I hear those things, I go the opposite direction. I literally, okay, here's what we got to do. We're going to get back to the basics. We're going to mm -hmm. define all these. We got to make sure that we're not just in self-serve mode. Do we have any obstructions, you know, personal things that are impacting? And if we got those then we're going to go a different way. We're going to really drill down on the fundamentals. I've had some health challenges since 2020. I have to regularly put myself in check every single morning, and it's on my calendar to do so, what I need to put in check. I got to make sure I'm staying focused on the target. And so I do that for myself so I don't get into the blame excuse. I go home and tell my wife, sorry, honey, business isn't going to make it this year. Life just sucks. Everybody else is my problem. Once it hit me, I mean, I'd literally get in trouble. <laughs> so it's just not a reality, right? And the higher, the, the, the other day I was giving a talk, I said, the higher the level, the bigger the devil, right? I didn't invent that phrase. Somebody coined that phrase. But it's so true because when you're running a department, the bigger the devils are, is they're coming at you. There's things coming at you. And whether it's from a, a fellow leader, a fellow manager, whatever that is, it's coming at you. It's coming at you in a lot of different directions. You got to make sure that the proficient employee can, one, manage it. It doesn't impact morale for them. They see it as an opportunity to grow.
So it's very different. So the oxymoron is the underperformance most efficient or proficient, I think is what you called it. But it's uh, two are not, not synonymous. And the morale is a big thing that you got to really find out why is the morale dropping and where did it start? There's yeah. usually gossip. There's usually somebody blaming somebody else. It's usually not a self-reflection because the proficient employee changes everything. So this underperformer that you're dealing with, uh, potentially highly skilled, maybe low skilled, maybe well-trained, uh, but they seem to get kind of lost something, lost passion for the role, lost, you know, whatever it is, what could be the potential reasons for that shift? You know, like we talk about morale, what else should it be? Is there actionable steps that leaders can take that will help them to re-engage and reignite that employee's enthusiasm? Well, we talk about the 90-day checkout from time to time in the company because everybody, you know, historically, we know people check out and you can limit it to five minutes or you can live it, you know, with five days. If you got people calling in sick, you got to you gotta ask bigger questions. Why are they sick? What's really actually happening? If they're truly becoming sick and they weren't usually sick, I guarantee you it's impacting their ability to perform. And they're going to scrutinize everyone else because it's a self-reflection, right? They're scrutinizing their own health, saying, why didn't I do better? Johnny's the problem, Mary's the problem, right? They become that attack mechanism versus the self mechanism. Mm. It's just a reflection on the individual. And so you got to process that for what it's worth. Even when they blurt things out like they have Tourette's, it's literally you got to, okay, here's what's really happening. You really got to put that in check. And like I say, you know, there's certain things. It's it's family health, um, addictions. There's a very few things, four or five things that affect the personal individual that's going to trickle over into their career. And so you got to you kind of got to know those things. And if you're connected to your leadership or your upper level managers, you're going to know what the hell's going on there. Interesting. As leaders, when you feel like we should step back and reflect on whether or not we might be contributing or how we can contribute to make it better. Um, and then how can we accurately like discern where the problem lies? Is it, is it them? Is it us? Quite often, I know, as, I know for, for a fact that we always talk about look in the mirror, right? We're talking about all day today. As leaders, we have to be the first person to do that. And when you're looking at your team and you have challenges or failures, what does that process look like in trying to help them as you're doing that? Just bring a big gun to the office and, you know, just show them <laughs> what that's going to look like. It's uh, <laughs> uh, The reflection is critical, but we have to first reflect on self, right? Reflect on self as managers and leaders. And then how are we portraying that? We have to put that in check, right? So we always say check your ego at the door. Yeah. This is kind of that mechanism, right? We have to make sure... We're in check before we can put somebody else in check. <clears throat> we can't put ourselves, our initiative, even though it's you know company-driven, here's the goals, here's the way this company is heading, we all got to go that way so we can all win. That part, we have to check for a minute and then go to the individual, and we have to apply that content, not personal content. That's really important that we have that. Stepping back, I think it was uh, Jim Rohn or maybe even, um, um, yeah, I think it was Jim Rohn. He he just says, if you are stepping in, there's a reason why you needed to step in. But he says, when you win, 
or you're starting to win or lose, you go all in. If you're winning, he says, mortgage the house. Do everything you can to keep winning. If you're not winning, go all in to find out what's not winning. And usually the dissection of that is you get down literally, and I'm going to use my fingers here, you get down to the microscopic things that we lost. Was it yesterday? Was it last year? Was it 15 years ago? We lost some of the basics. And so you got to master the basics before you grow to two. I did this the other day in that, in that speech I was giving. One to 10, and you can't hop from one to 10. If you did at some point skip over a number and you landed at 10, most people don't ever get there. If you were actually there, you're going to fall back because you tried to hop over something. It's like skipping a grade. <clears throat> at some point, you got to go get that education, right? I was lucky enough to be able to do some of that in, in school, but I still had to have that education. And to the, this day, uh, one, I'm respected in my peer groups at 57 years old. I still go in and I participate in the most remedial classes because we're still evolving, but I still got to put myself in check on the remedial tasks, on those small tasks. So always go back, always make sure you're relearning those things. Step back, reflect, and continually feed yourself with the small basic fundamentals. If that becomes painful, I'll show you somebody that's so self-centered, they're never going to actually grow. They're going to be stuck. The ones that are serving other people will go back and continually get them basics right and then figure out how to get them even more right and keep working those basics so they win on the bigger side too. Critical. As I sit in these things, I'm sitting with 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds. I'm literally one of the oldest people in these groups that I'm in. Yeah. And they're like, man, it's we envy you for at this age still pursuing what we're just now learning. And it is it is kind of crazy, but it's been my whole, I'm a perpetual student. It doesn't matter what degree, what accreditation I'm getting. I still go back and study the basics. Love that. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll think of our sponsors and we'll be right back. We're going to talk about mastering the art of mentoring. Hey, let's go. There we go. There we go. Did you know that CGP Maintenance and Construction Services, Inc. are also commercial plumbers? They added the plumbing division in 2000 and have been serving the nation's largest brands ever since. They offer everything from cleaning drains, camera work, and grease trap repairs to full repipes and dig-ups. So when your brand needs commercial plumbing, remember, call CGP. They are ready to be on site 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They specialize in restaurants, retail stores, commercial buildings, and hospitality. No matter what your plumbing needs may be, CGP is ready. And because they're a maintenance company, they can make the repairs needed after the plumbing is completed as well. One call will do it all. Call them today, 858-454-7326. Or check them out on the web at www.cgpconstruction.com. Give them a call today. Welcome back to the show. My name is Sean Black. I'm your host. I'm here with Jim Robinson. And yes, we are talking is. about the fine line between micromanaging and mentoring. And really, there's, you know, that micromanaging is is just that. It's small management processes. It's meant for uh, to be able to make shifts in people and kind of help things change. And going back to those fundamentals, that's where all the magic is in making those things happen. And uh, we're talking about mentor because I think this is one of the coolest things 
in a business uh, and one of the most advantage, uh, uh, one of the most advantage, advantageous. This that's the word I'm looking for. Advantageous things that anyone can can take a part, uh, be a part of. <laughs> so, Jim Robinson, let's do it. I want to hear from you, man. Let's, um, let's, let's drop the value bombs. Let's yeah. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we covered a lot of things about micromanagement so far. And now I want to kind of shift our focus uh, on to leadership and mentorship aspect. So if you're in your view of, of mentorship today's work environment, you know, um, what's that look like, especially in the service industry? How, how, how does it roll out and, and why is it uh, so important? Well, mentorship, I mean, this if you dissect that for a minute, it's really about longevity, right? Men mentors tend to be older than the one being mentored and older, not so much by age. Some of that has an impact, but longevity in a profession. If I were to change professions, I may need a mentor that's 30 years old. I may need somebody, you know, because they have longevity in, in that role. So mentorship is really based on longevity in role. And as an entrepreneur, for me, I've been in role for 30-some-odd years, 38 years with just this company. But as as a young kid, at 12, I started, you know, dabbling in entrepreneurship. I knew what I would do the rest of my life. I, I knew that I would be a CEO. I knew I'd be in And I didn't even quite understand stuff at that point. I just knew that's what I was being called for. So understanding that, there, there's a lot. Today's environment's a little bit unique because I think it's based on social platforms. Mm. People tend to think they have a lot of experience and they'll tell you, they're the first to tell you, I already know that. I already, I got this. I already know how to do this. They will tell you this repeatedly. And so mentoring them is difficult. That's why you got to make sure when you hire somebody, you're hiring somebody that's open and coachable. When they're no longer coachable, when they tell you, Peyton Manning, I guarantee you, never told his coach, <laughs> I'm the boss around here. I'm throwing the ball. Sit down. I guarantee you that discussion never happened because he was very coachable and he learned, you know, some of the basics, some of the fundamentals that was practice, 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 practice to get to perfect. <clears throat> so there is, a, there is a lot of that. But in today, it's, it's a little bit of a tough thing because a lot of people think they read enough social platforms and got opinions from friends. They've already mastered everything. Get yeah. them off your team. Get them off your team as soon as you can. Uh, and especially the service industry, we don't need egos trying to serve people. We need people serving people, not serving self. And when they have those big egos, it's it's self-serving, it's self-centric, and it's not serving the masses. We need to be ready to serve in the, in the service industry. Yeah, I like that. We always talk about ego, and and for a lot of people, they feel like that's a bad thing. It's it's not. It has its place. It's what drives everyone. You know, we constantly talk about this too. But you got to get it in check. You know, yeah. and from a leadership standpoint, how do you provide practical guidance to people without their independent suffering? I know it's a fine balance. You know, and for you, I know you're very autonomous leadership. Uh, but not all leaders are like that. How do you how do you find that balance with people, or is there a um, balance? Kind? Well, yeah, yeah. The the practical guidance, I guess, is that your question? The practical guidance, yeah. What do you, what practical do you guidance, and how do you mentor them essentially without um, taking their creativity? Yeah, exactly. How do you how do you keep that? Yeah. 
Well, you got to inspire that creativity and it shows they will grow when you show them absolute trust. Not during training, not fundamental review, but absolute trust so they can be whoever it is. <clears throat> For you, as an example, as mm -hmm. a marketeer, that's not my space. I have to have absolute trust that it's going to be executed in a really fun, cool, exciting, impactful way. I just have no. to trust that. And I would never squash that creativity. In weakness areas, unless people embrace their weakness and say, geez, this, I suck at this, unless they do that, everything else is a threat. And the balance is, is when you get to that level of threat, what does that look like for them? If, there's, if I'm seeing a lot of threat, I get very concerned, and then I ask different questions. And those questions could be opening. You know, why did you say that? What, what's behind this? What's making that, you know, come up? I ask those deeper questions. And I'll diffuse it typically by going back to fundamental. I'll go straight to the basics. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Bye. And then they can usually process that. If they don't, then we have a different conversation in the next time. So yeah, there, is, there is a balance in there. There is a line. And you really got to know. One, what is the individual? What are they experiencing? And then base it on how they're addressing you. If they're saying things um, that appear to be a threat to self, them, then you got to know that something's going on internally. Nice. We were talking about micromanagement, and now we're talking really about mentoring. But as an experienced leader for you, who is obviously at the level where you're developing new leaders, and you're working with those new leaders, do you find it necessary to intervene um, to help them prevent micromanagement or encourage them how to adapt a more mentoring approach to them and to their <laughs> That's teams? a great one. That's a great one because usually when you start building new managers that you know come from field experience or staff experience and then all of a sudden they get moved into a, a management role. Mm -hmm. And then from a management to the leadership, that's the intent behind what I do is move people move people out very quickly. And in doing so, they inevitably go to a micromanage, right? Like they're the only one in the world that can solve the problem. They become the yeah. rescuer. As of a couple of weeks ago, I even had a conversation with one of our leaders, uh, high-level managers, and I just said, I'm going to work with you and mentor you through this rescue mentality right now because we're, we're in a rescue mode and that's unnecessary. That's so unnecessary that proven time and time again, it's ineffective. It literally doesn't solve the problem. If you think of an ambulance driver, they get you somewhere so you can get some help. They're not going to be your surgeon. They're not going to put a cast on your leg or repair your ribs when they pick you up off the ground or a car accident, whatever. The guy driving that ambulance or the gal driving that ambulance is there to save an instant and then get you somewhere that the team can work on you and help you. It's no different in the hospitality industry, the service industry, they're all the same. We need to make sure that we have, you know, no rescue, but inspire the team to drive the result, save the life in my analogy for the, for the damaged individual. It's literally saving a life. And sometimes you're saving a career. And so we're working, we got a new plan, we're going to work through that, we're going to get rid of the micromanaging, the rescue mentality, because literally we've spent thousands and thousands of being the rescue person, 
but we haven't rescued anything. So our track record is crystal clear in that it doesn't work. My 40-year track record, I can solve a problem instantly, but it's a problem. The team has to solve the big picture. They have to go back to work. They have to get everything done. You have to inspire them. And if you squash their creativity, I guarantee you it won't get done. Yeah. It will be a failure. Yeah. That's important to me of, of learning how to be a good mentor is really being able to see that kind of balance for all of your team members who either are really performing well or they're struggling or they're having trouble with basics or whatever it is, is really looking at that entire picture and be able to work with those people individually to give them what they need to grow and to, and to, and to be successful and, and being able to see that, uh, sometimes those people can't even see it themselves because they're so they, close. Oh to no, that, the, right? the resistance was intense. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I, I I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> my, I believe it. Yeah, it was my comments earlier, right? When you feel like there's a threat, yeah. the only thing that comes out of our pie hole is blame or excuse. I got of both of those. I got both of, of those. By the way, it's and all I do is plant the seeds because they have to process. We all do. We yeah. have to process and think about. Okay, crap. I got to be humble for a minute, right? Humble, hungry, smart is what we're looking for, right? And uh, I forget who, uh, Dr. Uh, I can't think of his name. Sorry, I read your book. I know what you're talking about. Ramsey uses it frequently. Uh, Henry, Dr. Henry Cloud. And just humble, hungry, smart. And humble, hungry, and smart. Humble, humble, right? What's confusing about that word? Be humble. That means you have to be able to take criticism you have to take critiques in the most humble way because it's for you not to you it's about to change you so i have a a great opportunity to mentor one of our team we're going to get off this rescue jumping on plane thing we're going to solve problems not that we're going to stop jumping on planes it's we're going to stop the approach we're using so we still may have to jump on a plane we're not going to do it as frequent we're not going to take his time from his family to go and have a perceived rescue moment when he can be at home with his family every night and accomplish bigger results because you count on the individual's creativity to solve the problem that's already there versus squashing yeah. them. Yeah, man, it's it's a fine line and all these things and trying to figure out and and especially when you're in it and you feel like you're right, you know, and it's it's it takes a second for people to kind of be able to to reflect and shift and get out of it. And, and grow from it. I think ultimately everyone has the opportunity to do that. Not all of them, not all of us do, uh, you know, and, but I think eventually, you know, I, I had a, a great meeting with someone a couple of years ago, about two, two years ago from when I was in my thirties and I had the opportunity to grow and it took me a while. I didn't see it. And when I was, uh, it was my early thirties, and I had uh, that was not two years ago, by the way. You said a couple of years. So yeah, a couple just, years. Uh, I, I, I do have. I'm closer to fifty than I am to forty. So hey, listen, we can all appreciate the optimism. That's outstanding. <laughs> These are. Try, I try to believe that this is uh, wisdom coming through. Hopefully, yeah, getting there someday, someday, someday. That's right. But being humble uh, and being able to talk to him and go, "Hey, you know, you changed my life in the moment." I was uh, not happy with that situation at all. But yeah. looking back, you know, I, I'm grateful that it happened. It blew the guy away. And, and, but, you know, that took me 20 years. Well, uh, 
15 years, whatever it is. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm not going to math. After 10, just call it 10. That's yeah, fine. it took a while. Um, and that's interesting. And it really did take me a while. I think now as, as you're, as people maturing in, in, in their leadership roles, sometimes those shifts can happen very quickly and, and they go, Oh yeah, I screwed that one up. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> you if, if you have the humble, hungry, smart concept, right? Yeah. If you have humility, I guarantee you the growth happens fast. Yeah. It's when that ego is bigger than Texas and that ego shows up and then humility is not present, right? Because I'm the best there is. That mentality stifles growth. It's yeah, it the does. ones that think they're going to be amazing and never get there. It's Their egos are so damn big. Mm-hmm. In those humble moments when they could actually grow, they stifle that by saying, no, you're the problem. You're the problem. Somebody else did that. All the blame excuses. And that individual never grows. They literally stay exactly where they're at. And it's insane to watch. It's painful for me because I have people on the team that could experience that. And you're like, all it takes is ownership for a minute and the growth will start. Without that, it's prolonged and the pain gets worse before it actually changes. And then they, they stifle. They literally stay the same forever. It's challenging. It's challenging as leaders. It's challenging as followers. We all have to be humble, hungry. And, you know, I think all leaders experience it. Uh, some are able to shift faster than others, and some some stay in the moment a little bit longer. So it just depends. But I think that's why mentorship is so important, is trying to, be, you know, have great mentors to help you uh, through those things. So you drag you kicking and screaming all the way. Whatever it takes. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes that. <laughs> eventually they get to show us how to get to the bank that's right exactly exactly those smart people that actually are humble they will show you how to get to the bank at some point that's right for now they avoid the bank because the bank becomes their uh the negative <laughs> all right jim well as we wrap up the show uh, one final question for you uh you know drawing on almost four decades of leadership experience here was the most profound lesson that you have acquired regarding transitioning into a ment- mentorship role for you? What is that bit? If you could pick one, and there's lots. <laughs> um, leadership experience to get me into a mentorship role. Yep. So I've kind of always been a mentor, and I've uh, I didn't know that's what I was when people would ask me a lot of questions early on in my life, when I was in my twenties, actually when I was in high school, even people would gravitate to me and I I do, I'm a knowledge guy. So I got to gain more knowledge just to have it. And it's kind of silly. So I have a lot of knowledge on a lot of subject matter and life experiences. And this is through medical challenges of family and death and so on. All of these things have had a profound impact on one, my leadership, and then, of course, mentorship. And occasionally I'll get a call from a team member, and they're going out on a medical thing. We had one that had a house burned down. All of those subject matters, I've, I have had two houses burned down as a kid. And I can lean into that, and I can mentor and coach people through those experiences and what to expect. And so early on, I think it, it for me was, I wasn't a leader yet, but I was a mentor in some capacity because I had massive experience in perceived negatives. And I always say perceived negatives because what you attach to that is really a perception base, right? 
Other people get squashed by certain negative situations. Some people just grow from it. And when I would have these perceived negatives, I'm just like, man, one, I hated them. And then all of a sudden, as I started to age in my 20s, I'm like, whoa, those things were really there to give me a level of compassion and empathy. Those things are really what's guided me to become a leader and a mentor for all of those situations that have occurred for me since birth were really there to make me better at being a leader, ultimately the mentor or mentor, and then ultimately a leader. And so today at 57, I, I still look in the mirror and say, geez, you, you still look 30. How is that possible? And everyone else is aging. <laughs> <laughs> but, and so as long as I'm, you know, convinced that's great. I, I can keep going like I'm 30. But so being a leader is critical and getting that longevity, right? Learning and having compassion for things gives you that mentorship and people will start gravitating you, uh, gravitating to you, asking more content. They're looking for that mentorship because they're looking for that next level to grow to. Help them define that, help them on that journey, work with them. And if they are looking for long-term mentorship, sign up if you have something to offer. If whatever it is that you have a lot of vast experience with, you were given that as a gift. You have a responsibility to share it. Go mentor somebody. Nice. Awesome, awesome advice. Well, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, another great show, a ton of great information. And uh, for all you leaders and mentors out there who are listening on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe, give us a like, and uh, be sure to leave us a comment. We love hearing from those. And then if you're watching on YouTube, uh, do us a favor, just take a moment and subscribe because we'd love to know that we're providing the right value for you guys. Everyone's learning and getting something out of this, and it helps us tremendously to bring great content, great guests, which we have a lot of really amazing guests coming up here in December. We have some great speakers, some, some authors, some coaches, and I'm excited. Yeah, Jim, it's going to be you God, it's gonna be awesome shows. Yes. Thanks for having me again today. Always, always a pleasure to work with you, Sean. Get these, get these stories out. Let's keep telling the story. Let's mentor the, the masses. Let's talk. That's to it. Them. I love it. All right. For everyone here at Service Evolution, thank you. And we'll see you guys on the next show. Awesome. Thank see you. See ya.